Welcome to the 100% Finance Podcast with Juan Pablo, the podcast where we will show you how to get income-producing assets like real estate and businesses with little to no money out of your pocket so you can say goodbye to the 9 to 5 and be financially free. Here's your host, Mr. Cashflow, Mr. Credit Repair, Mr. Business Credit, Mr. Buy and Hold until the wheels fall off, the people's mentor, Juan Pablo. Without further ado, I'll pass the mic off to you, Daryl. Juan, thanks. Not a problem. So, yeah, it looks like we're concluding this uh, call that we had. It's been a lot of good information. We got out. Uh, hope we can, you know, get some things that people are definitely putting into action and can use to implement into their wholesale um, and even real estate investing career. So, uh, one thing I definitely want to discuss towards the end of the call is just focusing on how to close your deals. Uh, you know, people get misconstrued or uh, people get people don't have a clear understanding of the double close versus the assign versus just assigning the deal. So we definitely want to emphasize when you're actually assigning a deal or when it comes time for closing, when you're looking at whether you should assign or double close the deal, that is should be based on whether or not, or not based on, but it should be focused on the size of your profit. So in cases where you're looking at, say, a $5,000 assignment fee, you know, it's going to be a lot better to do five grand because the seller as well as your potential buyer would be okay with a $5,000 fee being paid versus knowing you made, you know, ten, possibly even $15,000 on a transaction. Um, so if it goes over typically at $5,000, you know, profit margin, the double close will make sense just because nobody knows what exactly you, uh, what deal you have worked out with your seller. So in a double close scenario, uh, it's pretty much two contracts. What would actually be a contract with the seller selling to you the property, which is your A to B transaction, and then the second part of the transaction is your B to C, which is your uh, you selling the property to your end buyer. Okay. Now, when you actually go through the process of a double close, you'll run across your um, title company or even your real estate attorney may charge you. Uh, double closing costs. So in some instances, you know, you can ask them to work on the price point um, as far as just trying to, you know, not so you're not being hit twice with fees. So double closing versus assignment, you know, it's something which most people already know what your profit margin is that you can determine that sometimes up front uh, just to kind of help you use the process. So at the end, you know, okay, when you speak with your buyer, you can turn around and say, hey, with this deal right here, you're providing them a contract which states I'm assigning my interest to buy this property over to you, the investor. All right. Now, double close uh, versus the uh, assignment, when you actually double close the transaction in most cases, won't have the funds, you know, some people may have the funds or they don't want to use their own personal money to do it. There's different reasons of why they would need cash right now. 
actually close the transaction. And we discussed a little bit on it briefly. Uh, I just want to re-go through that just to give people information on that again. With the transactional funding, it's going to allow you to close on the property with your own funding versus not using the your buyer's funding. What happens when, you know, I buyer turns around or what happens when you would buy the property you're going to run across an issue where the title company agent all the parties involved they're going to want an arm's length transaction and an arm's length tra transaction works when you end up using your own funds to close the deal so that's your main reason why you would use a transactional funder uh, to actually go ahead and Close your A to B, B to C transactions just simply so that you're keeping an arm's length transaction. You're not using the end buyer's funds to close your deal, and it makes everything transparent. Everybody has a clear understanding of what's going on, and you're simply just simplifying the process. Well, not simply, but you're simplifying the process for yourself to close the deal. Finding different transactional funders. You can look at our money lenders, um, and there's even a few transactional companies which you could probably share and shoot email out to you guys. I just have to look into my database and get some, you know, get some ones that actually work for you. And one thing which is important about setting up, you know, your attorney and trying to decipher who has uh, an experience with closing investor loans, the importance of why you want to get that sooner is so that they know how you work. They, everybody is in the same accord as far as how to close your deal. When you have a title company who may not be familiar with your assignment or you assigning the deal, it can complicate the whole process where either the potential end buyer, say if it's not just an investor that's buying your property, but it may be, you know, a buyer who, um, you know, they're using, they're using some level of finance and they're paying cash, they may have terms on there where, they just need a, a, a process more so, uh, you know, not, it not complicating the transaction. So by actually having the uh, title company, you can work the deal where it works out in your favor. You can work it where you can make sure and ensure that it's a transaction that can close simply because you can become the main person who's in communication with, you know, the sellers, the information, communication with the buyer. So when it comes time to get to the closing table, your deal doesn't fall apart, and you don't lose out on your money. Okay. So, wholesaling overall, once you line, once you line up your seller, once you line up your buyer, um, you've already done your homework. You have everything moving in a timely fashion. You're typically going to probably be looking at, I want to say, roughly ten, let's say ten to probably fourteen days for the transaction to close, depending on who your buyer fund finances with. Some people may go a little farther, but you kind of want to go, I would say, no more than about two to two and a half weeks as far as making sure your buyer can line up and close the deal. And when somebody does go ahead and, you know, finds a, a has interest in the property that you're selling, you want the earnest money. If you can get them to, you know, write the check to you, hey, it happens. I, I wouldn't personally recommend you doing that, you know, but... If you can have the earnest money deposit sent over to your title company, which is your traditional way of doing it, you know, everybody just feels, you know, their money's more safe. They have just 
it just gives them a, a better comfort level as far as giving cash to you. And worst case scenario, if it doesn't work out and the deal doesn't close, they or you know for something if something fell through with the deal, you say hey look it's with the it's with the attorney, you can go back and collect your funds and it makes you know makes everything simple. If they don't actually live up to the uh, time frame that you guys honored as far as closing, you have to you have to earn this money already with your title company. It just makes everything a lot smoother when you can line it up with the attorneys or you know your the title come to get the deal for it. So the the time frame as far as from start to finish, you want to make sure you could try to line up at least say twenty five days, twenty five to thirty days with the initial seller so that you have time, you know, to put your buyer in place, the market for the deal. In many in many instances you may not have that much time. Um, so while you're doing your, you know, while you're doing your research on trying to line up, the, uh, while you're doing your research on the property, see if it's one that may fit for your buyer. You want, you, I mean, for your buyer, you want to be doing as much, of, much research to determine, you know, the comps. So if you can get a contractor out there, if you can run through and walk through, you know, the steps we gave you guys as far as just determining the repairs that are needed. You want to quickly be able to assess the property so that once you have an idea of the repairs that are needed, you bring your comps, you can get that over to your buyer, even, you know, just having them on the line and saying, hey, look, I have this property coming up available in the next few days, you know, I'm going to get you most information now, of course, minus the address. If the numbers and everything else make sense, hopefully you guys can move on the deal. So... It's more so about communication and letting everybody know how the deal works and how you work most importantly. Because when people buy in a real estate, they're not just buying more so into you know, the numbers. They buy into you or how you operate your business. You know, how you structure your deals. And once you get that first, uh, once you get your, uh, you sell a, buy the first property from you, and the numbers work, they know that the transaction is smooth. You can constantly keep somebody you know, you can constantly keep feeding them deals. If they'll buy one property from you, they may turn around and buy two next time, or they buy three, depending on, you know, what their specific buying needs are at. So knowing your area, uh, knowing what type of deals you focus on, you may focus on high-end, you may focus on the lower-end deals. But you have buyers in, you know, across the scope, you have different buyers who are looking for certain products, and you just have to be able to deliver that product to them. Now, with your marketing, direct mail is, like I said, direct mail is a good piece to always have in your arsenal. Uh, the reason with direct mail, it's all about a response rate. So, as you're going around and, you know, say if you're putting 100 postcards out or 1,000, you don't want to just do one mailing and then kind of leave it there. You want to kind of set a drip campaign up where if you, you narrow down your target market, you narrow down your... Uh, your target market, you know, your, what do you call it? You narrow down your target market, you can first send them a postcard. You know, then you can send them a yellow letter. 
then you can, you know, send them another postcard versus if you can send them one time and then they receive your letter and information and they don't receive it even though. And with your response rate that you're going to receive, if you know that direct mail, it's going to be close to about a 1 to 3%, uh, I want to say on average. And the way to get that response rate up are going to be, you know, the quality of what separates your marketing from other people. Is it the same yellow letter that they receive them? Did they just receive this information one time in the area where you're marketing? So, in my market, I tend to focus on areas that have a few days on market. So, when I say that, I'm looking for a property where if it's the buyer um, that's actually going to, you know, the rehabber is going to pick up the property, rehab it, and put it back on the market, I try to focus in an area where those houses are selling less than 30 days. When your average days on market, you know, they may be about 30 days in that specific area. Um, and the reason why I do things that way is because I buy myself. I, we buy properties, you know, through our company. So every property that we, you know, uh, market to, we, we have an idea where if the numbers make sense and work for us and we can pick it up, we'll do so. But there's times where those deals turn around and we're like, hey, you know, it may not be my ideal house that I want to rehab it. We'll go out and wholesale the deal. And knowing exactly what, you know, some of these buyers are looking for, I have clients right now that one inventory and all I need to do is to turn around and just line up deals for them. So, by having and knowing what people want already, as soon as something comes that meets what they're looking for, you know, you can turn over and just set up a set up a deal the same day for the most part. You have something if you already kind of have a feel of how your buyer works, you know the numbers they're looking for, you can get them out to the property and they like it and they're a real buyer who buys uh, in that area of market. There's no reason why you shouldn't be able to get them to put a contract down. Um, as far as the as far as the contract and the earnest money, if it's a hot deal in a hot area, if they don't pick if they don't pick it up, somebody else will. So you get into you get into a, you get yourself in kind of I guess I would say into a risk knowing your area, your market, knowing exactly, uh, familiarizing yourself with the different title companies, attorneys. Uh, in your state, and the way you can find some of those attorneys is just going to your local readers, to your local real estate investor association. Ask questions. Ask other wholesalers and rehabs who they're actually doing closings with. Um, and in most cases, depending on who they are, you'll probably find those same title companies or attorneys at your local REA meeting, at some of your local real estate investing uh, meetup group meetings. So you kind of want to be able to just structure. Well, not even start. You kind of want to be able to market yourself as a go-to person for deals. And what happens uh, while a lot of people don't have success with it is one, their follow-up, and just getting out and doing it. Most people don't feel as if, hey, I need, you know, so much information. They constantly get caught up in, you know, one day they're at a hotel group, the next day they're at a, uh, a rehab group, you know, and somebody's focusing on commercial. So... It is important to have those different pieces in your arsenal, but you want to be able to just get out there and jump and then take action. The biggest thing that separates most people is just taking action and just do it. So 
with wholesaling, with rehabbing, with you know, commercial. It's all about understanding and having the knowledge to be able to go ahead and put it into place and execute it. And as you start doing your deals, you'll realize, okay, if I'm wholesaling, I can build up enough capital to wholesale. From wholesaling, now I can start rehabbing. Once I start rehabbing, okay, I'm making decent money, you know, flipping properties. Now I want to turn around and buy and hold a few projects um, because that's, that's typically how, you know, most people, most people get started with real estate investing and wholesaling. And the important part of why you wholesale is because you get to see the different properties that are out there. You get to see the different rehab, um, you know, rehabs that people are willing to take on, and you soon learn some of the issues that they come across, um, which is unexpected, unexpected repair issues that they didn't account for, underestimating their comps, um, picking up a property where nobody's buying that. So you, the wholesaler, it's not your responsibility for the most part to make sure that everything works for them, but you want to be able to line up good deals for your potential buyers. Um, because most people that, you know, they, they jump into rehab and not having an experience or understanding, you know, on the, on the different contractors that they need to have in place, um, knowing their market. So with you being able to give them enough information, you know, to say, hey, look, these are the numbers for the property. Um, you know, if you want to go ahead and provide the repairs, you can do so, but you're not leaving you're not providing people with bad deals for the most part. So there's a lot of new investors which actually come, you know, as we were saying, there's a lot of new investors who want to get involved with rehabbing from watching your fix and flip show, and they buy a bad deal, and they tend to go back and blame it on the person who sold them that deal. Or they'll tend to blame it on, you know, whoever the lender was, that the lender's not properly inspecting and doing the appraisals on the property. But the, the thing on that is, they, most of the time, they, in most cases, they haven't done enough research of just understanding that this business and real estate, yes, you can make a lot of money, you can have success doing it, but you first have to educate yourself. And I think one of the best parts of educating yourself before you get involved in rehabbing and flipping properties and taking on that huge risk is that you have a solid wholesale foundation. By wholesaling, you're out there reviewing properties, you know which markets are hot based on how people are responding to the properties that you're selling and marketing to them. You know, so one uh, something which you guys can find of good quality is teaming up with other investors. You don't always want to be, you know, the person who co-wholesales everyone else's properties. You run across a lot of those guys where you don't know who the source of the actual deal is. You want to create your own deals. And, you know, by creating your own deals, you have control. You're better able to reach out and contact your seller to say, hey, this property, this price that we initially, you know, discussed doesn't work. So I kind of just wanted to let you guys know that at a point in time in real estate, it's kind of just about building relationships, connecting with other investors, uh, lining up, opportunities that you feel will make sense so you can have better success with your real estate. Uh, now, when it comes to your areas, as far as doing, if, if you guys have access to, you know, MLS, great. You can certainly go ahead and target an area, see the most recent cash sales that were there, and then reverse 
reverse market to well, not reverse market, but you can actually do a analysis of knowing where the cash so knowing where the cash sales are at in that area, then marketing to uh, find those potential sellers. So if you have a real estate agent, which we discussed before, you can certainly have a real estate agent pull the recent sold, get you a list of the actual cash buyers that actually bought those transactions. They'll search to determine if they were bought in cash, and then make contact, shoot the direct mail piece out to them. You know, shoot a quick direct mail piece saying, hey, look, I noticed you bought in this area recently, so um, if I have another property available that meets this specific criteria, would you be interested in buying the deal? Uh, another way is going in the tax assessor record um, and kind of just looking at, or not even, I don't want to say tax assessor first, but when we discuss the mail list, if you can actually find a mail list campaign and bring up the name or in your search criteria, uh, look for out-of-state owners, you know, not owner-occupied, you'll have a lot of success just getting in contact with people who already buy real estate. So you don't have to go out and, you know, try to uh, think that you need to have this huge uh, buyer's list. You just need a handful of solid buyers that buy real estate. Um, and in some areas, if they're a true buyer, depending on, you know, how hot your market is, there may not be a lot of inventory or deals for them to look at just to determine, you know, if it's a deal that makes sense. So kind of wanted to share a little information. Uh, since we're coming to the close of it, I want to be able to just go over a lot of questions and kind of give you guys a better, you know, see what your, um, I guess, see what some issues you guys are coming across in real estate and kind of work it that way and answer as many questions and kind of, you know, get people on a good start so they can get out there and start making some money and build this business for themselves. This is Kia. I have a question. I'm doing pretty good. Uh, when assigning, when you guys are assigning your deals, do you do, uh, how do you do your contracts? Do you do? I know you have a contract with your seller, but I have a deal now, and normally I do double closings. And like out of all the deals I've done, I've always do double closings. I very rarely do assignments, but I'm doing an assignment now, and I had a contract with my seller, but the contract with the buyer. Do you just do an assignment contract and actually state how much you're making, or do you use a sell contract and an assignment contract? Because, you know, on my assignment contract, I used the amount that I was making blank, and the attorney didn't have a problem with it. But how do you normally structure it is my question. That's, sure, that's exactly how I structure mine. Because what's going to happen when you're assigning the deal, they're going to find out either way. So they'll find out when they receive the HUD-1. And the HUD-1 is pretty much, just for those of you that aren't familiar, uh, when you go to closing, it's the document which breaks down all the expenses which are paid and received at closing for the buyer side and the seller side. So what you'll notice on there is uh, it's going to be disclosed either way. So the exact the way that you're doing it now is the way of how we'll do it. How we not will, but is the way of how we do it. So we put a contract together with the seller, and then we put another contract together with the buyer, just assigning our interest over to the seller, and they pretty much replace them. And that's when it goes to title, the title company structures it. Now I know on one of the assignment contracts that I've seen, it's states that the buyer has received a copy of the original purchase contract. Do you actually give your buyer a copy of the original, or do you typically just give it to the closing attorney? We just give it to the closing attorney. 
Right. Yeah, I just noticed that on the contract, and I said, well, is, that, is that typical that somebody would actually give their buyer a copy of their original contract? Because normally I would just give it to the attorney, so I was just wondering if anyone else, you know, if that's something typical. Yeah, and the thing about that, and some, the reason why most people don't want to do it, you protect yourself, and there people have, you know, in, in the contracts for, in the contracts for most cases, you can add, you can not as I'm speaking from the buyer's side, but you can typically just provide it with the, just provide it to your whoever your uh, closing attorney is, and just let them let them handle the entire transaction for it from that point. So you gather the documents from the seller. You know, you, you got your contract with the seller. Um, you have the contract with the buyer, which pretty much says, "Hey, okay, I'm assigning my interest over to you on this property. Provide everything to the title company, and then from that point, you know, you kind of." You're kind of taking most of the stress off on you and putting it over to your attorney to handle the transaction. Now, right. in cases where, you know, most people don't have a decent relationship with the attorneys, you know, just to start off or you have to close the deal with them, you may want to handle as much of the transaction as you can, become the facilitator, so that way you don't have to worry about, you know, anyone feeling like they don't, they don't know how the transaction is going to work or they don't, you know, they feel like you're, you're, you're not being transparent with them, I guess I'll say. Okay, now that answered the question. I know my buyer had asked, uh, what was I agreeing to? He said, you're assigning me the contract, but what, where's the original contract? What contract am I agreeing to? So what I just did was um, sent them an original purchase contract between me and the buyer, which pretty much mirrors the contract I have with my seller, and she was fine with that. Yeah, and the, the thing that protects you either way, because some people may get, you know, think, oh, well, they're going to cut me out and go around me. Um, once the contract's in place, that's going to protect them from cutting you out going directly to the seller. Um, so, you know, you don't have to, you know, some people want to do the NC&Ds for us. We, I just stopped doing those altogether. Uh, just simply because you already have a contract in place with the, sell, with the seller. It's go, they're, going to see the, they're going to see the same information which is in your contract when you go to closing. So in some instances, if you can just iron everything out up front, you can, you know, get any type of issues they may have or address them earlier on, and sometimes address it earlier and just get it out the way. Okay, great. Any other questions? Oh, sure. I had a question for Kia real quick. Well, again, Kia, what was your, what was your assignment fee that you were uh, – what's your assignment fee on this deal, and what's your typical assignment fee when you double close? It was only 5000 on this deal. Typically, I do no less than 10000 when I do double close. Perfect. Okay, and that's one reason I was going to tell people that also. If you're over five thousand, well, if you're about five thousand, five six grand, you know it's not bad to definitely go ahead and take the assignment fee with it. Just because if you were going to double close on five grand, you're going to end up paying uh, more in your closing costs than you actually need them. Right, and that that's typically what I've done with. I mean, all the hand, you know deals that I've done, there's probably fifty plus deals, and all of them have been double closing. Excellent. What were some of the when you were starting off with wholesaling? What was some of the the things you had to get over? Like some of the things that was uh, caused you not to get started or getting getting in the way of you getting to that first deal. Got it. Good question. Good question. Um, let me think about that real quick. First part, I think um, is people just don't know their market. So, well, I can even say me when it, when it came time. 
I didn't know how the whole transaction, I didn't know all the different layers that were involved to, you know, set up a deal in the first place. So um, one thing which I think will be helpful for you is understanding that the contract, the title company, you don't have to know everything on that end. You can put that, you can put a good portion of that on whoever your real estate attorney or your title company is. Let them work to close the deal and make sure the deal closes for you. Okay. The other part was I was not looking for buyers and I always thought, well, when I was looking for them, I always thought I needed this huge buyers list. I needed, you know, a hundred buyers so I get a property, I can email blast everybody out. And once I actually learned that even down the road, after having all these different potential, you know, names and emails and contact numbers, you only need a handful of people. You only need to work with people who are actually out there doing real estate. Uh, so I had a fear problem of, you know, maybe I won't have the right deal. Maybe the numbers. I was always overthinking it. You know, I was overthinking the rehab. I was overthinking, you know, just my marketing. I was overthinking uh, my numbers as far as what to offer. And in some instances, I even offered more than what I felt I could have offered you know, by not listening just to find out what people actually needed. So set up, you know, set it up. You find it there. You got somebody who's interested in selling the property. Just listen to them and see, you know, what exactly it is that they want. You know, what is, what is the reason of why they're selling? And most people will tell you, you know, what exactly it is. And once you have just a basis, once you have a little knowledge, just as far as, you know, okay, this house needs a new roof, all right, five grand for the roof. House needs the whole kitchen gut. You can, you know, say, okay, you don't even have to know the numbers on your side as far as how much that's going to cost versus being able to tell, you know, your potential buyer what's wrong with the property and let them determine how, you know, what level of rehab they want to do. So they say, okay, well, what's wrong with it? Okay, the property, it needs updating. Well, what does updating mean? Updating is simply, all right, they need to replace the carpet or the hardwoods. They need to paint the walls. You know, they need to change out the appliances from, you know, your old appliances to stainless steel. Um, you know, just having a basic understanding of just the, the language that, you know, investors use when it comes to investing. You know, uh, so you don't have to know all the numbers yet, but you'll learn that, which I'll learn later on. Um, you'll, you'll learn exactly what it is that you need to move forward. And with the... The buyers, you'll start learning that everybody that you run into real estate, you know, may claim to be a buyer that buys real estate, you know, that is actually close to them. Most of them are not. Most of the same people, you know, who say they want to get started, the difference is some of them don't actually ever take action. And what holds them back is just that they feel they're never ready enough, to get, they're not ready to get started. So just keep just keep that in mind as far as, you know, taking action, learn, you'll learn so much more and some of the stuff that I'm saying, you'll 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 gather you'll understand it a lot more as you're working the deal. Oh, okay, here goes what happened. Man, I said this I said this rehab's gonna cost twenty. But your twenty and their twenty may be completely different. You know? Some may just say, Hey look, 
I only do the light rehabs. I'm not putting new cabinets in it. I'm going to paint the old ones. I'm going to fix the crack in the wall. I'm not putting stainless steel. I'm putting black appliances in it. I'm not changing out the windows. I'm going to put it back on the market. They may get what they're looking for. They may not. But your job is more so just to be able to find them properties. And the difference of, you know, how I think for you just even separating yourself from, you know, your larger hotel companies, say like your New Westerns or your Net Worth Realty or, you know, Gateway Acquisitions, these large real estate companies, which are just real estate agents who operate like wholesalers. The difference of what you want to do is you're not just selling deals. You're not just you're not just trying to co- collect your commission, pull comps out that you know a mile or so or so away. And nothing negative about your gateways and your western and your network. They have an excellent model and do deals. But the difference of what I want you to understand with some of it is just that you're not you're operating from a standpoint of knowing your market, knowing what the investors want, finding good deals putting those deals back out there versus just um, versus just trying to make make a quick five seven thousand dollars you're actually going to find deals that make sense where it's a win-win for the seller and a win-win for you know yourself and the buyer as well okay because yeah that's kind of my situation currently is because you know i feel like even though with all the education i've gained you know for wholesaling rehabbing uh buying whole you know commercial you know i have all this knowledge but I still have some type of, I guess you could say, fear of taking action. Because, uh, and that's 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 my current situation. If you, if you feel that way first, one thing that I think you want to do is once you get over that first call with the seller and you get over your first just interaction with the seller and you be surprised by everything you're saying to them, you know, it's like, okay, well, I want to offer this on the property. And if they say, okay, yeah, let's do it. Then the next thing is, man, I got a deal now. Now you got a deal. Now you got to get out there and start lining up some buyers with it. Um, one thing that may help you earlier on is to start, I would say, look for some of the buyers now with can or just go and connect with those people that are actual buyers because you'd be surprised by how many of them actually, one, don't have the time to find deals and they don't have the resources or they don't know the same amount of people or different areas of marketing that you do. Okay, so there's always in a hot market, there's going to be a shortage of inventory. And if your market's not a, a hot market now, you're actually stepping in, control your market a little better because you can you can present yourself as the source for deals. And by being the source, you have your own deals you may be working, but you may know other wholesalers who are selling properties. They may have something that fits what one of your buyers is looking for. You know, so build that relationship with the seller and stuff, with, with the buyers, I mean. The buyers will give you a better understanding of what it what exactly it is that they're looking for. And they may have a specific formula which they go on. You know, they may say, all right, as long as it's 70 to 75% of the ARV, uh, of course, minus any repairs, I'm okay. And if you have a general rule of thumb, okay, well, this property needs about ten to $15,000 worth of work. In most cases, you could probably look and get a good idea, even with that repair estimate sheet that uh, we provided in the beginning. You can get a good idea of how much some of this stuff is going to cost to repair and keep in mind, again, you just have to have, you don't have to be exact. People just want like a roundabout number so they can factor that into their equation. They're like, okay, if he said 20, I mean, it may mean it may need about 30. Or, you know, if he says in a roof, if it needs a kitchen, if it needs, you know, if it needs, I need to, if it means I need to replace the gutters, do the insulation. They know automatically how much those things are going to cost in their head. 
you know, they'll, they'll know what the cost of those uh, rehabs are going to cost them roughly, even if you just tell them the things that are wrong with it. Say, oh, well, the the electric, electrical box, looking, determine, okay, well, is it, you know, knob and two wiring, which are going to be your old, you know, twist bulbs that you'll see? Or is it uh, circuit breakers where, you know, it's just a, the switch that flips? In that instance, they may say, wow, I need to rewire the entire house. $5,000 or, you know, whatever their cost may be for electrical rehab. So you kind of, you don't want to put a, a hard cost on what you think the rehab may be for them because they may look at it as it being, you know, less than what you think it costs, depending on their relationships or experience, and it may be. So get an understanding of, you know, ideas. Look through the list. Get an idea when you walk through a house of just determining what needs to be done, you know, what, what needs to be fixed with it. If the carpet's early, the carpet may need to be replaced. If it's a buy-and-hold tenant, they may not want to put, you know, your high-end carpet. They may put the lower-end carpet. So when you have an idea of what needs to be replaced, you can base your estimate off of there so that way you don't overestimate your rehab budget, which is going to overinflate the numbers of what they need to do to, you know, to fix the property. And for you, you want to you want to look at the property as if it's something that you would buy, except take all the numbers out of the equation. But you, you know, when you when you're marketing, you're not going to market it with the real estate costs and commissions coming out and and so forth. So when you have an understanding of okay, the reason this buyer possibly is trying to you know get it at this number. Is because even once all these expenses are paid, they still want to make a profit. So by knowing that, okay, you got to pay your closing costs, you got to pay your, you know, real estate commission and your taxes when you close. Most wholesalers don't even have that understanding of education, uh, which can help them better understand the numbers when the deal closes. So it'll just help your uh, buyers that much more that you have an understanding of what the costs are. So when you see a deal, you can look at it and just be like, it's not even worth the time. It's not even worth the time for me to go waste my time to go out there. Seller can be upside down, um, you know, where they're at, and they may and, or they may be asking far more than what you're willing to pay. In some instances, people just want you to make an offer, but you don't want to waste your time at the same point driving out to a property uh, where the seller is not motivated to sell it. So work it backwards, link up with some sellers, find some new construction homes where there's builders walking through it, you know, and walk through them. Get a chance to get an idea and see some of the work that's being done. So experience is going to be your best learning, and get out there and start connecting with people. And tell them, tell them what you do. Hey, I'm, I'm investing in real estate. Sure can, will, I add, can, can I add something to that really quick? Sure. When, 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 I first, when I first started a few years back, I had the whole analysis paralysis where I, I didn't know, you know, I didn't take the action. And what got me through it is first understanding what deals are, really educating yourself on what is a deal. And then from that point, going and at least starting with one deal. And if you don't have buyers, link up with another investor or wholesaler in your area who's doing deals. And then you, once you know what the deal is, get it under contract, and you can close and learn from that point. But really taking action and focusing on one thing, if you're going to do wholesaling or rehabbing, yeah. or whatever it is you're going to do, focusing on that one thing, really educating yourself on that, and then taking action. I agree 100%. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, Eric. Um, my, my mentor in New York, he was telling me how um, 
he used to always go over deals with his dad. Like, hey, dad, I think I found this one. Hey, dad, I think I, what about this deal? He said, it's been two years. And his dad just got fed up with it. <laughs> he's like, yo, man, it's been like two and a half years yet. And you still haven't done a deal yet. <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> he said, man, stop bothering me with all these, these deals you got, man. You just, like she said, uh, analysis paralysis. And uh, he's like, just be like Nike, man, just do it. He's like, you know enough information, man, yeah. just do it. And then he was like, um, and then he, someone else told him, like, yo, because he's an engineer by trade, so he always wanted to analyze the ins and outs of everything. And he was like, you know what? One thing you need to know is that you will never know everything you need to know. And once you know that, just go ahead and take action, man. Move forward. And I'll say start giving yourself accountability, man, like, when I was doing my first deal, I told myself, I'm going to do my first deal by the end of this year. You know, come hell or high water, I'm going to have a deal closed by December, I think, what was it, 2010? December 31st, 2010? And it happened, man. One thing, one thing also, man, I want to add to that is one of the issues I learned later in life is just that, even up to now, if you're, if you're not making mistakes, you're not learning. You're just shooting. You're you're selling yourself short because anything that you do, you just want to take action, and you're going to make mistakes around the way. You, if you're always waiting for that opportunity where no, this has to be in place, that has to be in place until I take action, you're just selling yourself short on opportunity and letting time fly by. Versus saying, hey, look, I'm gonna jump in. I'm gonna figure it out while I'm working through it. I'm gonna get what I need to do information-wise. I'm not saying just you know jump in without any knowledge or experience with it. But what I'm saying is if you see an opportunity that makes sense, get in there, take action on it, and try to figure it out. Worst thing you want to do is look back and say, man, I didn't take, I didn't take action when I thought I should have. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's kind of how I feel right now. Because, man, I, I, I be looking, right? And I, and I, I do that. You know, I see deals. I analyze them. I just don't act on them. You see what I'm saying? And, and, that's and if it, you don't, somebody else will. That's what yeah. you that's what you always have to think of. If you're not taking action, there's somebody else out there that will. Yeah. And there's probably a ton of people. Yep. Well, I was saying, I know on my first deal, there was a house that I continuously drove by, and when I just made the decision to take action, and I sent a letter to that one owner, and two days later that owner got back to me. I got it under contract. And three weeks later, I made twenty grand on that deal. So, and I, and I drove by that house for at least two months before actually doing something about it. So. Yeah, that's, there's a house I've been looking at. It's funny you say that. There's a house I've been looking at for the past, I think, the end of June. And I just keep looking at it, and you know, it's still there, and it's not no, you know, no one sold anything, and you know, I just I never took action on it yet. Yeah, you're right. probably well, too comfortable, Eric. You probably got like a nice day job. You know, <laughs> you might make good money. You probably comfortable on your nice couch watching Sunday night football. You know what I'm saying? So it's not like you're in that in that state where you have to be hungry and go out there and get it. You know, so sometimes being too comfortable can be like your worst enemy. You know. You know, it, you know that's 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 kind of what happened too. Because when I first at the beginning of this year. I, you know, I wasn't, I, I could say, you know, I wasn't making the money I'm making now. I say that. And, um, yeah, that's probably the situation that I got real comfortable. Yeah. 
Yeah, man. I think I think Benjamin Franklin said that. He said you'll never get a a person out of their poverty if they're comfortable in it. Not saying you're poor, but you're probably not at the position where you really want to be at. So if you're comfortable at your current income level, you'll never go to the next if you're comfortable in it. All right, great. Well, thanks, Daryl. I appreciate you, um, you know, facilitating these calls, man, for the uh, past month. They've been great, a wealth of information. And um, all right, guys, I wish you guys the best. Have a good weekend, and, uh, you know, like Daryl said, take some action. So you could be like right. a DJ making 20K your first deal, you know? Man. Yeah, make it happen. <laughs> oh, no, she made me up like, dang, I need to set my game up. <laughs> yeah, look, I'm like, man, that's, that's good. That's, you can't go wrong with that. It's all about taking action. Right. All right, guys. Well, enjoy your weekend, all right?